Hi, this is Bill Woods, still marooned up here in Sun Valley with a broken leg, but I think it's getting better, and I hope before long to be able to get back out into circulation. I wanted to talk today about what's going on in the Mideast. Since 9-11, 2001, we've become aware of an endless number of fanatical Islamic fascists groups that hate us for two things, our, our citizenship as Americans and our citizenship in heaven. Paul Marshall at the Center for Religious Freedom in Washington, D.C. said, there's a hate list, and first on the list is Israel. The official name of Al-Qaeda is the World Islamic Front for Holy War Against Jews and Crusaders. The during where the Crusaders thing came from? Well, during the Middle Ages, terrible atrocities were committed in the Middle East in the name of Jesus Christ. The perpetrators called themselves Crusaders. The Islamic mind has associated Christianity with these medieval Crusaders. Second on the hate list is the United States of America, hated because we support Israel. We've been seen as Israel's bodyguard. To understand what's happening in the Mideast, we must know what caused the problem. Actually, it just ends up being a great big family feud. The problem with all Middle East peacemaking is it doesn't address the real issue. When John Kerry was Secretary of State, he tried but did not solve the problem. He's tried to solve a lot of problems he's not solving. Hillary Clinton couldn't solve the problem. Obama didn't have a handle on the problem either. President Donald Trump didn't succeed, although he came closer than any of the others. President Biden is not going to succeed. He might not even know that there is a problem right now. The hatred between the Mideastern nations and Israel predates this current crisis by about 4,000 years. It even predates the beginning of Islam. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Said when God told Abraham, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, God was saying that I've chosen you and you're going to become a blessing to the rest of the world. Well, subsequently, the world would be blessed or was blessed through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who came through the nation of Israel. God also told Abraham, I'm going to give you some real estate. The real estate was the land of Canaan. Today, we call it Israel. He said, I'm going to give you an heir whose family will become a great nation. Well, Abraham understood God was saying, I'm going to give you a son. We know that Sarai, later changed to Sarah, was beyond childbearing years at this time, but God still said, I'm going to give you a son. Because of the promise wasn't fulfilled immediately, Sarai and Abraham got impatient. Sarai told Abraham, uh, Abram, later Abraham, to take her servant Hagar and father a child. Abraham said, well, that sounds like God's will to me. That'll be okay. Abraham committed adultery with Hagar, and she conceived and bore him a son and named Ishmael. 
Ishmael is the father of all non-Jewish Arab nations. Later, as God had promised, Sarai got pregnant and bore Abraham a son and named him Isaac. I so wish that they would have been patient and not got in a hurry and run ahead of God, because now we have a problem. We have a firstborn son and a son of promise. Both thought to, that he should have the birthright and inherit the land. The people of Israel are descendants of Isaac, the son of Sarah. The people from the Mid-Eastern, Middle Eastern nations are descendants of Ishmael, Hagar's son. Imagine the competition and rivalry in Abraham's home back then. Talk about a dysfunctional family. One day, when uh, Isaac was uh, grown up enough to be weaned, the family was celebrating Isaac being weaned, and Sarah saw Ishmael laughing at Isaac. Well, Sarah was furious and said, this son of a slave woman would not share any inheritance with her son. Sarah demanded that Abraham get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. Now, the Bible says Abraham was very upset because of his son Ishmael. He loved Ishmael. And I've often wondered why Abraham was such a milk toast and didn't stand up for his boy. However, God told Abraham to listen to Sarah. The promised Messiah was going to come through Isaac's line. Next morning, Abraham gave Hagar and Ishmael some bread and a skin full of water and sent them on their way. Where was she to go? I mean, they were out there in the wilderness. There was no place where you could catch a bus, no place where you could go get a hotel or anything. She would just turn loose. Well, that brought enmity between the sons that still exist today. The problem in the Mideast isn't who shot who first or who kidnapped whose soldier or who has shot missiles or who won't give up property rights. The problem is a theological issue. The descendants of Ishmael believe that the descendants of Isaac stole their birthright. He was the oldest son. And so it has progressed through the centuries, back and forth, just like a couple kids tattling to their mother. Johnny took my toy. Make him stop. And Johnny would defend himself. It's my toy. I had it first. Well, the question boils down to who does it belong to? Islam hasn't always been around. It hasn't always been a Muslim-Jewish problem. Before Islam, a few Arab nations were Christianized, but most were idolatrous or paganistic. In the 7th century, Muhammad established the Islamic faith. What are the basic beliefs of the Islamic or Muslim faith? First, Islam does, does acknowledge Jesus and Moses and David as prophets, but they believe that Muhammad is the latest and greatest prophet of God. They believe that the Septuagint, Torah, Psalms, and the four Gospels are to be revered as sacred writings, but they believe the Quran is the absolute and final word of God because it was revealed to the latest and greatest prophet Muhammad through the angel Gabriel. The Islamic faith has no place for the concept of a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Islamic faith recognizes one supreme being, Allah. 
Islam believes, believes in the last days a Shiite Islamic savior will come to rescue all true Muslim believers. This closely parallels the Christian belief in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Some observers suggest that Iran's prime minister, Ibrahim Razai, a fanatical Shiite believer, is poised to leave the world in, into World War III in hopes of speeding up the coming of their Messiah. I hear people say all the time, well, we all worship the same God. We just call him by different names. No, that's not true. In 2019, Pope Francis and the Grand Iman of the Al-Azhar signed a historic declaration of fraternity calling for peace between nations, religions, and races. And they signed this in front of a global audience of religious leaders from Christianity, Islam, Judaism, and other faiths. The document pledges that Al-Azhar and the Vatican will work together to fight extremism. This movement to unite Christianity and Islam is, is called Chrislam. The old line liberal churches, for instance, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutherans, Pope Francis and some Catholic churches and lots of community churches promote the idea of marrying, marrying Christianity and Islam together since they say we're all worshiping the same God and trying to get to the same destination, heaven. Hold it now. Nothing could be further from the truth. Some well-meaning but dumber than rocks, biblically illiterate people are trying to put everyone on the same page by saying, we're all headed toward the same destination, just taking different roads. Islam does not teach that, and neither does the Bible. We don't worship Islam's God, Allah, and they don't worship our God, Jehovah. That who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and who is a triune God who has a son named Jesus and is present in our world and our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the theological issue, and it leads me to the geographical issue. Islam claims ownership of that small strip of land known as Israel. Right now, part of Israel has been portioned off and designated for Palestinian occupation. The Gaza Strip, governed by Hamas, a militant Palestinian fundamentalist Islamic organization which came into power in 2006. Hamas, as you know, invaded Israel on October 7, 2023, butchering babies, raping and kidnapping women, brutally torching and uh, torturing and killing from 12 to 1,400 old and young victims of the bloodiest attack in Israel's history. With, further, uh, with a further 3,300 injured and around 150 hostages taken into Gaza. Iran, Syria, and Lebanon, which would be Hezbollah, Yemen, which is Houthis, have joined the attacks of, to destroy Israel. <clears throat> That'll never satisfy the Islamic quest to conquer it all. God gave every bit of land to Abraham. God gave that land and more to Israel as a gift. Israel didn't just come through one day and say, hmm, this looks like a good place. Let's just take it away from whoever owns it. God said to Abraham, this is your land. I'm giving you this land. 
Now, let me say this. Israel will never be completely destroyed or completely driven from their land. If Israel's at the heart of the matter, then Jerusalem is at the heart of the heart of the matter. In 2 Chronicles 6, 5, and 6, it says, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of the land of Egypt, I have not chosen a city to build a temple in among any of the tribes of Israel, so that my name would be there, and I have not chosen a man to be ruler over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem so that my name will be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Jerusalem wasn't always God's city. King David established it and named it in 1004 BC. Through the centuries, it's been overrun or destroyed 38 times. In AD 70, the Roman general Titus ran roughshod over Jerusalem and burned it to the ground and destroyed the temple. Jerusalem lay in ruins and temple lay in ruins until 313 when Constantine legalized Christianity and encouraged the Christians to build churches in and around Jerusalem. In AD 638, General Omar, the successor of Muhammad, uh, led the Muslim army and captured Jerusalem and declared it an Islamic holy site. The Dome of the Rock Mosque was built on the Temple Grounds or Temple Mount. March 14, 1948, Israel was recognized as a nation. Since then, the objective of every radical Islamic fanatic has been to rid the world of all Jewish life and take every square inch of land for Islam. The cry now is from the river to the sea, a common call to arms for pro-Palestinian activities, activists, especially on college campuses. It calls for the establishment of a state of Palestine from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, erasing the state of Israel and its people. The United States must stand with Israel. We must not waver in our support. Well, why is it so important to stand with Israel? Well, selfishly, we need a foothold in the Mideast where, where we could build a base if need be. Also, God said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. For the, that reason, we must back Israel. We must stand with them defending their right to exist and their right to own their land and their right to defend themselves. Obama has Muslim roots and did not stand with Israel. In fact, he betrayed Israel. Trump stood with them. Biden is wavering in his commitment to stand with Israel. He even seems hostile towards the idea. Well, how should we respond to Muslims? Do we see them as enemies? Do we hate them? Do we want to exterminate them from the face of the world? Well, heaven forbid, no. People of the Islamic faith are like you and me. They need a Savior. God said, Whosoever believes in Jesus Christ shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. John 3.16 Jesus died for all people, for Jews and Gentiles alike. When he died for Gentiles, he died for you and me and for every Islamic person who is, you know, we need to pray for them and try to evangelize them. Since the Mideast is such a cauldron, 
What should we do about this crisis in Syria, Iran, Iraq, Egypt, and all the other Arab nations trying to annihilate Israel? John Kerry ran back and forth, meeting with Congress and with the people of Syria, the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad, because he thought he could defuse the situation. Obama wanted to lob missiles into Syria to teach them a lesson. Our Congress was trying to decide if Obama should and do to what extent, and Hillary thought it was a good idea. The truth is, none of these negotiators, and I put that in quotes, knew what they were doing, and none of them had an answer to lasting peace. The world is watching to see what's going to happen. Iran is lobbing hundreds of rockets out of Syria into Israel on a daily basis. To make matters worse, President Biden lifted the sanctions on Iran's nuclear program and released $29 billion to them to use in developing weapons. They want to destroy Israel, and strangely enough, he paid them, and they still want to destroy the United States. Meanwhile, Russia has pounced on the Ukraine with an army of 130,000 soldiers. China is starting to rattle their sabers. There will be wars and rumors of wars, Jesus said, and I think we're certainly seeing that today. This Israel-Arab conflict is a 4,000-year-old family feud fueled by hatred and will play a key role in the final curtain of history. The Arab nation won't be happy until all the Jews are dead and they own all the land. Israel isn't planning to cooperate with that scenario, and God won't let it happen either. Israel is rapidly making plans to rebuild their third temple, which is prophesied to play a part during the tribulation, and they're going to build that on Temple Mount where the Muslims' Dome of the Rock is situated. It's going to be interesting how this works out. I read that the Jews have built an exact model of the temple at the base of the Temple Mount so they can train priests in ritual and sacrifices. They have a red heifer which is prophesied that must be sacrificed to purify everything before they can build the temple. They already have a high priest. The report is that they've collected all the building materials needed to construct the temple and they have all the furnishings and all these things will play a key role in the tribulation. Now, the tribulation is going to last seven years. Three and a half years into the seven years, Antichrist will enter this Jewish temple that has been built and declare himself to be God. Jews will reject him at that time and will realize that he is not who they thought he was, the great peacemaker and maybe the Messiah, and then the heavy persecution will really begin. At this time, the mark of the beast will be enforced. Those who refuse the mark won't be able to buy or sell, and if caught, will be beheaded. Revelation thirteen sixteen through 18, he causes all, both and small, great and rich, poor and free, slave, uh, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. 
Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 10 said, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of wrath. His, of God's wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. How will Antichrist keep track of who can buy or sell? While well, information is being gathered now today by the IRS, by bank cards, by grocery cards, by Verizon, by Google, by Sprint, by Facebook, by Internet, all collecting information. Obamacare, or the Affordable Care Act, as it's called, has been gathering and controlling all the, this data. Millions of cameras are recording your every move. You, you know there's no privacy. Satellites are monitoring you and your activities. They're so sensitive that I understand they can read a date on a dime from 200 miles up. They are heat sensitive enough to detect a person hiding. You can run but you can't hide. We got a glimpse of how it'll be enforced in what happened with the truckers in Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau froze their bank accounts, canceled their insurance, canceled their driver's license, and this is how the Antichrist will enforce the mark. People will not be able to buy or sell, not be able to have bank accounts, which means they'll probably starve with no food. It will undoubtedly not be too long before all of this is ramped up in the United States, just like what's going on in Canada. Well, you say you're scaring us, Pastor. Well, there's no reason to be frightened if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you, and, and you have a current, up-to-date, right relationship with Him. Actually, this is a time to rejoice because Jesus is coming soon to take his church home with him for all eternity. The question comes, are you ready to meet our Lord or will you be facing the Antichrist and all the wrath that God is going to pour out upon the earth at that time? I would ask you, please, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, won't you please, for your sake and for God's sake, won't you please confess your sins to Jesus and ask him to come into your life? I've been praying so much for so many of our people that are careless. They don't know where they are spiritually. And one day the Bible says Jesus is going to say, not everyone is going to enter the, the kingdom, but those who do the will of the Father. Aren't you doing the will of the Father? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Don't take a chance. Confess your sins, repent of your sins, ask God to come into your life and decide you're going to live for Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, I pray today that you'll help each one that's been listening to this podcast that we might take seriously the facts of the times we're living in and know that it will not be long until you call a halt to everything. And God, one day we're all going to face you Help us to be ready when that day comes. Help those who do not know you as their Savior to realize that now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I pray, God, that they will come to a place where they will play, ask for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, I'm going to be speaking again tomorrow at the First Baptist Church. Uh, if you'd like to be there, if you're in the area, we would like to have you come. Sunday school starts at 945, morning worship at 11 o'clock. I will be, again, preaching from a wheelchair, but it'll be the Word of God. I, I, if you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. My telephone number, if you want to talk to me or text me, 623-845-2741. And uh, if you want to uh, send me a, a letter in the mail, the snail mail, it's box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. God bless you. I hope that uh, each one of you will make things right with God and you'll be ready when he decides to come and take his